Hello, and welcome to Nutrition Navigator's podcast, bringing nutrition and wellness to you. We're a monthly podcast where we interview health professionals and community members about health and wellness topics. My name is Ashley Monroe. I'm a nutrition counselor and advisor for this program. Today's episode, I am joined by my co-host, Marin. Marin is both a student and lecturer in the School of Nutritional Science and Wellness, and she teaches intro to nutrition and is a volunteer with us here at Campus Health. Today's episode, we're speaking with Abby Chan. She is our guest for the episode today. Abby Chan MSRDN is a non-diet, weight-inclusive registered dietitian who specializes in helping others reestablish their relationship with food and movement. She's the co-owner of Evolve Flagstaff, an integrative facility that focuses on nutrition, injury prevention, and rehabilitation, strength training, and meal preparation to help you do what you love for life. Other than work, she spends her time as an artistic director for Dark Sky Aerial. She is a movement artist who uses her love for dance and aerial arts as a form of expression and processing. When she isn't working or creating, you can find her outside shredding trails on her mountain bike, running, skiing, or vanning with her pups. As I mentioned, Abby's from um, Flagstaff, so she joins us today to discuss attention deficit slash hyperactivity disorder, also known as ADHD, and we're discussing how that intersects with intuitive eating, so how we think about nutrition in this context of also having symptoms of ADHD. And Abby does such a great job of providing some practical ways for students and just people to nourish ourselves when we have these just different ways of adapting to the world. So without further ado, let's welcome Abby to the show. All right, welcome to the show, Abby. Can you tell our students who you are and what it is you do professionally? Yeah, thank you, Marion. My name is Abby Chan. I'm a registered dietitian based out of Flagstaff, Arizona, and I own a private practice that works with uh, movement, obviously nutrition, physical therapy, and also really looking at through this entire lens of working within a weight inclusive health at every size lens so that we can help restore any disruptions that people have had with their relationship to their bodies and food. I mostly work with athletes and eating disorders. And I guess that piece around helping people feel connected or more balanced with food. Today, we're going to talk about nutrition and ADHD, and maybe specifically like that intersection of intuitive eating and ADHD, like how do we adapt intuitive eating for folks who have that ADHD diagnosis? So maybe, maybe we can start though and like set the stage and Abby, can you share how, how prevalent do we feel ADHD is among a college population? Cause that's who we're specifically speaking to. Um, and what are we typically seeing as some of the signs in those folks? Yeah, that's a great question. So statistics are a little bit mixed. Um, it's anywhere from two to eight to 11 to 16% of college students. So it depends. And I think that those numbers are really varied for a few different reasons. Um, historically, and not to exist in a gender binary space, but we're just going to pretend like this exists for a moment, even though it doesn't. But generally, female identifying individuals are underdiagnosed with ADHD. Um, and historically, I mean, even I remember growing up in, in elementary school, and there were 
male identifying individuals who were diagnosed. And it was typically because they were hyperactive, you know, like some of the quote unquote classic, big air quotes, classic signs of um, possibly being disruptive, not being able to sit still, being loud, being aggressive, all of these different things, um, having trouble focusing. And because that was typically thought of as the norm of the standard of how we diagnose this neuro divergency. Um, now we're realizing that it's very, very different in those who identify as female. And that's partially due to, it could be due to hormones. And it can also be due to obviously how we are expected as society to show up in this world. The reason why in my practice, I see a lot of ADHD um, is because there's a big intersection when we think of neurodivergency, but there's a big intersection between ADHD and also having a co-occurring eating disorder. And so there is a big aspect too of why I work with this and why I believe this is important to talk about and really start to create uh, a little bit more awareness around as well. I wonder if that's where this maybe in the college population, it becomes more highlighted is the age timing, maybe our female identifying folks are finally getting kind of a diagnosis or recognition around this time, but also college typical quote unquote college years, your college age is really high risk for disordered eating and eating disorder behavior. So I wonder if that's another reason this population, we're just seeing a lot of overlap and a lot of prevalence right now too. Yeah, and I think that's the beauty of when we start to look at the spectrum of neurodivergency instead of it being like you have you struggle with anxiety or you struggle with depression. It's like recognizing that all of these are multifaceted and often intersecting, which I think is a lot more validating too than just putting someone in a box and saying this is the only thing you struggle with all the time forever when it's all the things at times. Yeah, totally. And then people don't feel as othered or maybe, yeah, it's validating. I do think sometimes folks appreciate the diagnosis because they like feel seen and they have this like aha moment, like, oh, this is why some of these things are occurring. It's not, maybe it dissipates that shame. Like, oh, it's not my fault. Kind of, it's just a product of how I'm adapting and coping with life. For sure. Yeah. And I think that's one big aspect too. I've had a lot of clients historically and recently where they're getting diagnosed in their late twenties, mid to early thirties. And they're like, Oh, everything makes sense now. This is why life has been so hard for me. And so I think it is very, it is very validating to also get a diagnosis. But I think when we're like, Oh, it's only this, it's like all of these are so intersecting that we can't just put people in one box. Yeah. And I think that when we think about symptoms, we kind of discuss some of the more Mm -hmm. male identifying symptoms, but I think with women and girls, a lot of it can be, instead of it being a very outward expression, it's more of an internal struggle, internally struggling, being hypercritical of either yourself or really, instead of again, expressing outward things or having kind of uh, not even, I like home tanties. Um, I have inner tanties all the time, uh, like little tantrums. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> it's a friend, it's a friend term amongst the group of friends. I'm like, I'm throwing a tanty right now. Um, but I think a lot of female identifying individuals typically get a diagnosis of anxiety or major depressive disorder without again, recognizing like, what is the underlying reason for this? And I think that also because societally, female identifying individuals are supposed to be quote unquote, put together 
supposed to be quiet, supposed to be nice, supposed to be well behaved, all of these things too. Like there are different coping strategies to deal with this, um, where it is, is historically more acceptable for men and male identifying individuals to maybe be a little bit more loud or out about how they're not out about how they're feeling and emotions, but it's more acceptable to have some not out lashes, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And I think there's a great, I don't know, this generation gives me such hope, right? Like there's just this push towards being able to take up space and women and female identifying folks being able to to be who they are and to express themselves and not be kept kind of small and that subservientness, like kind of kind of redefining that or uh, divesting from that maybe. And so I, I love that that maybe is bringing to light it being okay for uh, us to, to have those kinds of struggles and bring put it out there so that we can access different coping skills to just live more peacefully, honestly, instead of just bottling it all up until the moment you just pop. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I think really one really differing symptom or uh, way that this shows up from male to female is really the promiscuity of females. And so if a female is being female identifying individual or presenting individuals being um, struggling with depression or struggling with pulling back or inattentiveness or anything like that, it's seen as being promiscuous or again, not fitting within this very quote unquote female mold. And so I think that's one aspect too. And I think we really need to also recognize that when it comes to hormones, this is when it comes to ADHD, it is a neurotransmitter condition to an ex extent, you know, there's altered neurotransmitter activity. So there's a less dopamine and serotonin in the brain, which can also lead to other aspects of seeking other coping mechanisms when it comes to even like bring being more promiscuous of what it could be like risk-taking behaviors, struggling with food, relationship to food, all these different things to feel quote unquote okay. But then also when it comes to female, I, like female quote unquote hormones, that can also impact estrogen and progesterone can also impact and have major impacts on the brain and may also cause fluctuations and exasperations of ADHD symptoms. So you may feel really fine at one point within your menstrual cycle in one phase, but then at another phase, not be able to function at all. And so that can be a huge aspect where it can get misdiagnosed or underdiagnosed. I think it takes a different, if you have that lens of like all of these things that I am doing, my behaviors serve as a way of my body adapting to try to take care of myself. I think when you have that lens of compassion, it's easier to kind of tease out what support you're actually seeking or what you're actually struggling with or what kind of supports you need to, and what's working, what's not working. I think when you come out of this lens of we're all on spectrums here and there, and we all need different ways to kind of adapt to life. And so it's going to come out through food maybe in a different way. And that could be an area that you can decide, yeah, this isn't really working for me. And what can I do about this? Yeah. Well, speaking of food, that actually makes me think of, you know, since ADHD and the symptoms and what people experience can vary from person to person, we're talking about the spectrum. Um, do we see differences in nutritional like dietary patterns and does it change or is there a difference between those who identify as females versus males? I'm just curious since this also is a 
nutrition topic or podcast. So that's a great question. Um, I haven't a looked into that necessarily from at least like, again, that more gendered approach of like thinking of like male versus female presentation. Um, I find that, um, yeah. So I guess one to answer that question, I don't know if there's a big difference in gendered presentation within food space. Um, I think when it comes to eating disorders and disordered eating, they're not obviously just a female identifying presenting issue, but because of, again, those societal factors and how all of this is so multifaceted, it can show up in some different ways in that sense of either having a uh, not liking certain textures of foods or uh, because there is anxiety within this too, it could be having gastrointestinal disruptions um, or symptoms, which then can lead to decreased intake, which can then exacerbate those GI symptoms, which can lead to all these other things. And when we throw medication on board, it's like a whole nother topic because um, that can really disrupt anyone's relationship to their body and food and natural, quote unquote, natural hunger signals. Yeah, and I can totally relate to the effect of some of these medications because I myself have taken, I've been diagnosed with ADHD and I've taken the medication before. And I know that one of the symptoms or common symptoms is loss of appetite or reduced appetite. So, which can lead to weight loss. Um, and sometimes you even just forget to eat food. So my next question would be, is there a way folks can use intuitive eating or the practice of intuitive eating to help with those symptoms that they're experiencing? Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of times when we hear the word or the phrase intuitive eating, people are like, well, it's, you eat when you're hungry and you stop when you're full and blah, 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 without recognizing that it is really a framework of a way that we can better respect our bodies. And that's gonna, again, look different for every single person. And there's no quote unquote right way to do intuitive eating. And so I think it's gonna show up differently for a lot of different people, but I think especially within the spectrum of neurodivergency, there it's harder to tap into what exactly is my body feeling because we may not have the, nor again, quote unquote normal sensations of hunger or fullness or, um, we may not be aware because there's so many other things happening in our mind that we can't actually focus on what's happening in my body also may not feel safe to go inward and ask what is happening in my body. Um, I think another aspect too, is just even thinking about neurotransmitters um, within ADHD brain, because your body is, your brain is basically sending out signals of I need to feel better. I need to feel something. So serotonin, dopamine, that's what they do. They make us feel good. They make us happy. They make us feel cozy and safe. Um, and so one food group that is really good at also helping with that is carbohydrates. And so I find a lot and carbohydrates are great. They're essential for brain function. They're essential for muscular function. They're essential for every single cell in your body. But because of that, because our brain is craving that um, and sending out basically alarms saying, I need this, it's more likely to reach for those really quick, easy, more carbohydrate rich, po possibly higher sugar foods to help increase that dopamine and serotonin production and release. And that 
um, causes a sense of calm through the brain. So it can help people focus for a moment. But I find that if that's the only foods people are eating, or if that's really what they're relying on to get through the day, it becomes a very short lived response. And they're going kind of for that next quick thing. And so there's Again, because it's really hard for people to be aware of their hunger signals, a lot of times people, whether they're on medication or not, will go a long period of time without eating because they're either hyper-focused or not focused at all, which is totally fine. (laughs) Um, And then eventually, I, in my practice, refer to it as a hunger hole, is that once your brain has not had enough carbohydrates or enough overall calories and energy coming in the day, there's a point in your day and typically at the end of the day where you have been running on fumes all day and your body is in a massive deficit and at that point you are going to eat with a lot of urgency and you're probably going to eat more than you're comfortable with so whether that be a full-blown binge binges are very different to individual people that can mean a lot of different things Um, but especially one of the big intersecting um aspects of adhd is you're at a higher risk for eating disorders when it comes to ADHD and eating disorders, the incidence of that is about four times higher that if you have ADHD, you will also struggle or could also struggle with an eating disorder. And so I think especially when it comes to binge eating disorder or even bulimia or binge purge type of eating disorder, that's going to be more common because there could be an entire day where you didn't feed yourself enough. And then your body and your brain are trying to catch up later in the day, which makes you feel really out of control, can lead to feelings of guilt, all of that. And then your brain is then going to try to rationalize that, especially if you have disordered eating patterns in some way, shape or form. That makes a lot of sense. And I think students often ask, you know, some flavor of what's the best diet for that then, or what's the best food for then, and understanding that there is no one right thing for anyone, what you're kind of, what I'm hearing is the carbohydrate are, are a really important and vital piece for the puzzle for folks with ADHD. It sounds like though, like then staying on board and like being kind of drawn out or sustained over time. So like you eat a carbohydrate that's like quick and nourishing and easily accessible, but then it's gone and I'm hungry, you know, two hours later, but you know, maybe they don't have access to food that regularly or don't want to kind of do that grazing action. Um, So how do people with ADHD help plan their meals to kind of sustain that focus or sustain that good response that their brain is kind of seeking? Yeah, that's a really great, great question. So I think one aspect, especially thinking about neurotransmitter regulation um, and even just creation is getting adequate protein. So protein is going to decrease how quickly your carbohydrates are digested and absorbed. Obviously, when we layer on fats and other like fruits, veggies, fibers, things like that, that will also delay it as well. So looking at can I eat a well-rounded meal, but also can I start my day with a solid meal, especially if you are going to take meds that are going to impact your appetite of can we eat a really solid meal containing all of the food groups as much as possible, right? So can we have some carbohydrates? If you can choose some ones that may be higher in fiber, those could be whole grains, such as oatmeal, could be whole wheat toast, things like that, Um, could be whole wheat bagels, whatever, but also layering that with some sort of protein. That protein is the building block for your neurotransmitters to actually be made and also regulated. And so if we, because we already have a decrease in serotonin and dopamine, we want to make sure that we are giving our body and our brain enough 
building blocks to actually make these very, very crucial uh, neuroregulators in our brain. And so we need to make sure we are having protein adequately throughout our day, especially if you're someone who enjoys moving your body, or if you're an athlete, it's going to be even more prevalent at that point. So first and foremost, eating, if you do take meds, eat before your meds, eat a well-rounded meal. Um, And I think some other aspects of like when it does come to understanding your hunger cues, I find that most people, it's very rare that most people actually feel hunger in their stomach. It happens, but I think it's also, again, that so the societal conditioning of, oh, and I'm hungry, I should feel it in my stomach. At that point, you're probably already a little far too gone if you do feel it there. Uh, but some other things that may be some signs that you're hungry could be fatigue, dizziness, um, even having more difficulty focusing, irritability. Um, I call it anxiety. So instead of being hangry, it's anxiety where you are super anxious. And especially at that point, your brain's like, well, then let's just keep going. You know, let's let's finish this task. When it's like, if you would have eaten, it probably would have taken you half the time to do that task. <laughs> so I think it's understanding what are your signs of hunger and how are those showing up for you? Because it's going to be probably very different if you have a neurodivergent brain than someone who does not. Again, we all exist on this spectrum in some way, shape or form. Oh my gosh, that example of anxiety, which by the way, I've never heard that before and learning lots of new terms from Abby today, <laughs> but this anxiety piece and that that story of, I just have to finish this thing. I cannot count how many times students have told me that like, they're just in it and they don't want to stop. And I don't, I don't always know if part of that is I'm afraid that I won't be able to get back into that groove or if it's just the unknown, or I don't know, this if they're so anxious because it's a symptom of hunger that they are not recognizing as such. But I think that the concept of intuitive eating can be really unvalidating if you're just saying it's the hunger fullness diet, which it's not, because then it's like, well, I don't feel those all the time, or neurodivergent folks don't feel those in the kind of quote unquote typical way. And so this this discussion of anxiety, I was like, oh my gosh, if folks were to identify that or experiment with that being a symptom of hunger for them. And like you're saying, maybe it makes them finish their task in a less amount of time. Like, I don't know, that seems like a really good experiment for students to try. Um, And mostly because I hear that all the time about the tasking thing, you know, Mary, have you heard that too? No, I actually haven't. So this is all new information (laughs) to me. Um, Or experienced it, I guess. I mean, I I think we all have in the zone a moment, right? But like to think about how debilitating that could be if it was every day for folks and like constantly. I I can, yeah, I can definitely speak on my, and you know, what's interesting is that sometimes if I am taking the medication for it, I tend to be more like that. Like I get Mm -hmm. more anxious and tell myself, okay, I need to get this done. And then I'll just completely forget about Mm -hmm. the fact that I need to do other things, nourish my body. (laughs) So yeah, no, this is all really interesting. I think it's interesting too. And I think about anxiety as well. If someone is not medication or maybe even doesn't just maybe just struggles with anxiety, which pretty rare, but what that does too is that tells our body that we aren't safe right that we're not feeling safe and so definitely when we are coming from a place of being undernourished 
our body isn't safe. So it's also going to send out more of those signals of like, I'm anxious, meet my needs, do something. And you're like, I'm focusing on this one thing. And then we can, then we can chat. Um, so I think it's like this really vicious cycle that you're like, I'm hyper-focused, I'm doing this thing. And then it really just drives in that anxiety mm-hmm. um, even more. And I think a lot of times if it's rapid breathing, sweaty hands, I mean, there's a lot of physical symptoms. Mm-hmm. Those are also sometimes, especially with like sweating, things like that, that can also be a sign of low blood sugar. So just pay attention to other things that your body may be telling you if that feels safe for you to tap into it. Oh, you said something that reminded me of something else. Oh, that anxiety thing of, you know, I have a low appetite because of my medication or just because I'm presenting in this way. And therefore I'm almost going into a meal really anxious. Like, I think I hear that a lot too. Like I haven't been finishing meals and I need to, because, you know, maybe my dietitian or whoever is telling me I need to nourish more. And so I'm going into this meal, hyper anxious, and then it doesn't go well. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that also continues this cycle of, I'm just trying to feed my body and there's all these things getting in the way, I guess. Yeah. And I think that's also part of it too, of more so within the female identifying realm of like that perfectionism and masking of like, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this right. And if Mm -hmm. I can't do this right, then I'm a failure and I don't want to engage anymore because I'm going to fail if I do this thing. And so I think it's really at that point, lowering the stakes completely of being like, cool, a meal might feel really hard to get through right now. Let's start with a few bites and call that good. And let's check, let's set a timer to check back in in about 30 minutes. (laughs) Once you've fed your body a little bit and maybe some of that anxiety has decreased. That perfectionism maybe shows up in food choices too, I guess. That's back to that kind of like, what's the best food to eat for this condition, right? Yes. So there is so much, I mean, we've probably all seen it or heard it of when people are trying to figure out why is this a higher, why is this being diagnosed more? Why are we seeing this more? We didn't see this Mm -hmm. 40 years ago. It's like, this has always existed, but also our world has at such a higher uh, or such a faster pace now that our brains are trying to figure out how to work with this. So I think it is more prevalent in the way, and it's more just because of the structure of our lives now. Um, because if there's a lot of urgency around things, we are always distracted. So it's really easy to not focus on things. But there is a lot of discussion uh, that gets very, very orthorexic. So very hyper focused on just healthy things. And there's a lot of fear mongering, I think, within dyes or food additives. And to me, all of that is actually completely negating like what is actually going on. And there is no one food that is going to make you or break you. So you can eat all of the kale in the world and that'll probably lead to GI distress and maybe too much vitamin K coming into your day, right? <laughs> so there's no one food that's going to make your brain feel better and no one food that is gonna make your brain feel worse. And it's really important to look at how do I use food to support this instead of fix it? Because you don't need fixing. We just need to learn how do we adapt to the way that our body works. Oh my gosh, I love that. We don't need fixing. I do think we live in a fix it mentality in this society. And I don't know that we do a ton of sitting back and trying to understand ourselves for just like what they are. Like we're all different and we can embrace being different. But I do think we look at it from this, you know, I have this, I need to fix it. What's the best thing I can eat instead of maybe I just 
need to understand or figure out what my hunger signals are or do the best I can or take those first few bites. Yeah, I think students, just because that's the population we're speaking to, put a lot of pressure on themselves. Those are yeah. identities. Yeah, and I think it's hard because especially within college, it's the first time people have really, it's the first time that people have really been on their own and really have to kind of figure out life for themselves. And it's a lot like going from maybe a family structure to where, you know, food is somewhat at least partially provided for you, or at least there's structure within mealtimes. Not every family has that. I didn't really have that growing up, but um, that's where some people are coming from. And so I think to be then thrown into a space where, you're super stimulated. You have a lot of things on your plate. There may be a lot of financial worries of, I need to not screw this up because this is really expensive mm-hmm. or um, I need to get good grades or whatever it is that it's really hard to also take care of some of our basic and very important needs. And so to me, that's where it's really important when we think about how do we make this, how do we help ourselves um help ourselves out in this space instead of again fixing but really looking at how do I adapt my life to me because that's what it should be it should be adapted to anyone else Mm -hmm. and I think the most important thing especially with ADHD whether you're on medication or not I think either way it's really easy to forget to eat and take care of yourself I think one thing is just setting a structure Um, so there are apps that you can use that can help with reminders or that give your body um, or your brain like a little check mark and like a little like celebratory thing, you know, that like releases a little bit of dopamine and you feel really accomplished. Um, but I do think having checklists can be really helpful of even writing down of having check boxes of when you're going to eat. Maybe again, that could be alarms on your phone, could be blocking it out physically on your calendar. That can be really helpful. Um, and then I also find too, if we get caught in feeling like we are really unproductive, of even just taking a moment to write down what you did that day so you can look back at it and be like, oh, I am doing things. I am making quote unquote progress. Um, so I think that can be helpful. And then also having really getting out of again, like focusing on it has to be the perfect food or it has to be quote unquote healthy because what's healthy to me is going to be very different from someone else mm-hmm. and no food is better than no, or some food is better than no food. And so looking at trying to create some go-to meals that are accessible, delicious, and easy. I talk a lot about creating like emergency snacks or with my athletes. I'm like, all right, what's, what's in your bag? What's in your go bag, right? Like what always lives there? But then especially with just even everyone else too, I'm like, what do you have with you? If you are acting as a food optimist, I call the people who are surprised that breakfast and lunch and dinner happen every single day. And it's a surprising factor that that happens. I call those generally food optimists, like food will manifest its way into my life. I'm like, eh, it could, but especially (laughs) within neurodivergency, you're probably not going to take the time to do it. So let's make a plan. And it sounds like the approach just in general, especially when you're in this college community, right? And you're living on campus or you're just new to college. It's obviously a change, a huge change, right? An adjustment. So I think the, what I'm getting from this is that the overall takeaway is to put yourself first and take care of yourself and implement self-care and nourishing yourself. Because if you don't put yourself first, I feel like everything else just falls apart. So I don't know. I see that just in myself. I've had to learn that over the years. And then I see that um, just 
amongst this community in particular. So that's what I always tell people. Well, if you're not putting yourself first, then put yourself first, take care of yourself, and then everything else will just fall into place slowly but surely. But <laughs> yeah, and I think from a, a like college perspective too, it's like find foods that are affordable, right? Yes. Find foods that are easy, find foods that aren't gonna go bad instantly. So use frozen foods, use frozen meals, use dried foods. Like how do we beef up your ramen? Like, can we throw some eggs in your ramen? Can we throw some frozen broccoli? And then all of a sudden we've leveled up this meal to being something that is quick, but also going to be something that sustains you for a period of time and is also really cost effective. Um, yeah. So I think it's really trying to find those things instead of shying away from foods that we think are quote unquote bad um, or whatever. It's really, how do we just utilize them and also maybe add to them in ways that are probably going to make them more sustaining and possibly even more delicious for you too. I often feel like this podcast is like a giant permission slip. Like every episode is just like a different version of like a permission slip for students to just like have some compassion and you know, to be a little bit more flexible and not put so many rules into place that turn into barriers. So it always kind of warms my heart to hear people saying a lot of the things that we tell students and we're very broken records. So it means a lot to come from different health professionals. Is there anything before we, you know, to be respectful of everyone's time, because I feel like this is a topic we could go down so many different avenues. We're just going to have to have Abby back on the podcast. Uh, but before we ask our end of podcast questions, is there anything we didn't ask about this topic, uh, that you wanted to share with our students? Um, I think one thing is definitely just give yourself some space and some compassion for sure. Um, don't get caught up in all of the rules and principles of intuitive eating and like, look at like, how is this a framework to best respect myself? Um, I think that one really important aspect and because movement is been a part of my life for a long time and I really love it, but really getting into diving into what does movement do for you? I think from, again, a brain perspective, it can be very calming. It can, um, impact, uh, our, again, our serotonin and dopamine can make us feel good, can help us feel focused. Again, doing that in a way that adds to your life instead of takes away from your life. So it isn't something else that is going to totally drain you for the rest of the day, something that um, is easily flexible and can fit in. So even if it's just like taking a little bit longer route to your next class, you know, that can be a really good space for your body and your brain to just decompress for a moment before it has to be on again. So I think that that's really helpful. And then if you're someone who has been undernourished for a long period of time, um, or on certain prescription meds, definitely talk to your doctors or your dietitians and work with them in conjunction with each other to see if there are any sort of supplements or even like certain vitamins that would need to be targeted for you that could be helpful to support um, your brain function and your body, especially if you've been in an undernourished place. I think that's also really helpful. Is that going to be like a multivitamin and possibly like an omega-3 dosed supplement kind of? Is that the line we're walking towards? Yep, that's the okay. line we're walking towards basically. Okay. Yeah, so get, get some B vitamins in there. Okay. Get some of your uh, with, micronutrients. With, like you said, like consulting with someone so you're not just loading up for no reason and spending money for no reason. Absolutely. But I was just making sure like we're on the same, like, because students are inevitably going to call and ask, like, she said supplements, which ones do we take? Right, exactly. Yeah. So pretty basic stuff. Um, nothing that you don't ever mega dose any one thing, especially okay. without supervision. So 
multivitamins are generally going to be pretty okay. Um, if you can get a third party tested one, get a high quality one, but yeah, all the things when it comes to supplements. Our athletes out there, make sure you're getting ones that are, you know, NCAA approved and aren't kind of got wonky ingredients and in then that could be misconstrued as uh, performance enhancing situation. <laughs> and one caveat that no amount of supplements are going to replace food. So remember that supplements are supplement to your diet. So don't just take those and be like, cool, I'm good. Yeah. It's like the pyramid. If you can't get enough, a vitamin isn't going to do anything. Right. So you like have to establish that enoughness first. Yeah, um, exactly. Okay. Again, like so many avenues to go down. So if we, <laughs> you know, students out there, if you have additional questions, absolutely like let us know and we'll, you know, maybe this can come out in a different uh, format or something on Instagram or something in a blog post or something. We'd like to continue this conversation and meet your needs wherever they are. So thank you. All right. Yeah. Ready for our, well, I'll let Maren tell you or take it away, but like for the rapid fire, I did send them to Abby ahead of time. So she had time to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right. First question. If you could only eat three foods ever again, what would they be? They would be dumplings, um, brothy noodles. So something along the lines of like a pho or something like that. Something brothy, something comforting, something I can make super spicy. Um, and then chips and salsa. This is all making me so hungry. <laughs> I love yeah. pho. <laughs> um, all right. Next question. Breakfast or dinner? Which one? How about how about like breakfast for dinner? Oh, yes. Great answer. <laughs> I feel like that's, that's, yeah, people, people are, there's an affinity to breakfast and especially breakfast <laughs> for dinner. All right. Last question. If you could have dinner with three people dead or alive, who would they be? Oh, shoot. They have to be oh dead or alive. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they don't have to be dead. <laughs> <laughs> they all must be dead. Uh, <laughs> no, um, my grandpa, uh, he's since passed, but I've really loved to have a conversation with him now and like my more grown-up self that would be really cool uh Frida Kahlo because I'd be fascinated just to dive into art and gender class race all the things of why she created what was her inspiration and then Justin Baldoni because he's really beautiful <laughs> I don't think I know who that is okay Are so you have to, to you have to google him he's been yeah. in like some shows I think he was in this show called Jane the Virgin which I didn't really love the show but watched it basically just for him oh uh, okay I'm like pulling him up I get it <laughs> yeah and he on honestly to like yes he's really beautiful but also seems so far from what I've seen on Instagram seems really kind and caring those are I my used, three I love that love that I have to I'm always looking on the lookout for new shows too you know there's so there's so many and there's also like we run yeah. out so thank you yeah she also has a really good TED talk on deconstructing masculinity so Ooh. or like sort of it's like along those lines I haven't watched it in a while okay. but it's basically about like yeah it's really cool. So I like that. Okay, cool. Man, it's undefined. No, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for sharing your expertise and knowledge. And you do so much in your community and all over the weight inclusive space. So we just really appreciate you taking the time to talk with our kids, our students and our community. Um, and yeah, if you're in the, you know, fitness and dietetics health world, um, we're going to share all your info. You have such an amazing 
practice concept with your partner up in Flagstaff. It's such a, it's such an amazing thing. You know, people always see it and are just, I'm always so impressed by what you've built and your entrepreneurship. So very cool. And we'll, we'll direct students definitely to check you out because yeah, you've done a lot of good work in your time. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. And it was great to meet you, Marin, and great to catch up you with too. you, Ashley. And yeah, thanks always. for all that you do within the university and student community because yeah, it's important. And that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Please share with your friends and connect with us on all our campus health social channels. You can also email us directly at chs-nutritionnavigators at arizona.edu to submit your questions and comments on the show about the show. <laughs> We're so excited to be back this semester and bringing you some interesting content to help spark curiosity and empower you to feel your best. We have an interesting lineup for the rest of the semester. So thanks for joining us and yeah, let us know what you think. We're co-sponsored by, no, we are sponsored by Campus Health and our program in health promotion and preventative services. We want to thank Abby so much for coming on the show today. We appreciate her time and all of her insight and and information about this topic. We really could have spent so much more time in lots of different areas. So like we mentioned, we'll have to have Abby back on the show. So check out the show notes for just additional resources and information mentioned on the show. And until next time, be well, Wildcats.